0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun, and I am excited to be here on this, probably the last show you listen to before free agency and tampering starts. We made it folks. As always you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at @LockedOnVikings. And hey, if you're the kind of person like me who doesn't like sifting through podcast apps or trying to sort through all of the different podcasts that I'm subscribed to to find the one, you can always ask your smart device, "Hey, play podcast Locked On Vikings." That's Play Podcast locked on vikings it works for locked on nfl draft works for locked on nfl or any of the other teams you maybe want to listen to and it's especially helpful in the car if you are like a lot of people and listen to this show on your morning or evening commute you can say play podcast locked on vikings in your car and you don't have to lift a finger it'll take you right to the most recent episodes make sure you check that out on this episode, since we are basically, at least in terms of this show, on the dawn of free agency, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the philosophy of, of evaluation. And we're going to get a lot more you know, into the weeds with that, but I want to kind of set a building block for how I tend to evaluate players and how I kind of avoid the pitfalls of some of the classic methods of evaluation and, and make sure that I'm looking at the right information. Because let's be honest... There's going to be some players who get signed to the Vikings or who get interest from the Vikings that we haven't really looked at in depth. I mean, think about, like, Tom Compton last year. Most of us probably didn't know who he was. I know I didn't know who he was until the Vikings signed him, and then I had to go and look him up and see how good he was. And maybe you followed him, you know, in Chicago or in Washington or whatever, but by and large, we didn't really know that much about him until he became relevant to our team. So we're going to be going through the process of evaluating players essentially from scratch, not really knowing where we stand on those players or, or how we feel about them. So I kind of wanted to uh, propose a method of evaluation, a process. You know, I talk all, all about process and I, I talk a lot about process that is bad. I wanted to talk about a process that I like and kind of lay it out for you. But first, we have a little bit of news to talk about. We talked a lot yesterday about some rumors. Uh, This is actually some real Vikings news. It's kind of unfortunate. Rock Thomas uh, was cited for uh, a pretty large amount of marijuana. It was something like six, five, six ounces, a third of a pound. I forget how many grams that is, but it helps me visualize. And he will be facing charges for that and probably league discipline as well. For a guy that's already kind of on the roster bubble, that's especially bad news. You're going to find when it gets to like June and July, I'm a huge sucker for roster bubble guys. And for guys who who are just like chasing a dream, you know, the underdog story, huge sucker for it. And I was rooting for Rock Thomas really hard. I really liked him when the Vikings picked him up in undrafted free agency. So it's really sad to see uh, a guy, you know, get into that kind of trouble. I will spare you my thoughts on marijuana in the NFL And it is a painkiller and all of that. I'm not going to get into all of that. Uh, The league does what it does when it comes to marijuana. And it's going to discipline him. And then the discipline will be over. And he will be hopefully able to try out for another roster. Because I don't think having marijuana is that big of a sin. But even if you disagree, you know, whatever you think about with the NFL's attitude towards marijuana and how they prosecute it, the players are all very much well aware of that. So it's also one of those things where like, you got to know what the consequences are if you have that much marijuana readily available and you get in trouble for it. If there are any updates of substance, obviously I will bring those to you and we will talk about it at the time. It doesn't have a huge impact on the roster. I mean, he was probably going to go into training camp as somebody who wasn't guaranteed to even make the team, so that's just kind of less competition there, which has a minimal impact, if any, at all. Uh, So that's really all there is to say about that right now. As the story develops, we'll see what goes on. If there's any more intrigue to it, we'll talk about it, but I kind of doubt we'll talk about it. It just sort of is what it is. Moving on to news elsewhere in the league that may or may not affect the Vikings, the Browns are kind of clear in house, and there's a lot of conjecture out there Uh, that like a rumor is going on. A lot of Browns players were sending out cryptic tweets about like, oh my goodness, John Dorsey really pulled one off this time. And a lot of beat reporters were going like, wow, something's brewing in Cleveland. And it was all very cryptic and very like hypey. And then Ben Albright said, y'all are being ridiculous. They're discussing a trade for Odell Beckham and that would be wild, but it's totally a rumor right now, which is why nobody was reporting it. But he kind of said, listen, I'll tell you this on the caveat that it's a rumor. It could totally be BS. Uh, all of that being said, the Browns are trying to clear a little bit of cap. So they are not hanging on to Jamie Collins. Uh, I talked a little bit on Twitter yesterday about him as a possible replacement for Anthony Barr. He plays kind of the same position. He wasn't really as productive as Anthony Barr in 2018, but very few people were. Uh, he, He was productive in run stops, in coverage, and in pass rushing productivity, somewhere in the 30th to the 40th best outside linebacker range. That's not bad. That's starting quality play. And in New England, he was much better there. In Cleveland, apparently there were some effort red flags, and I do question the value of his coaching. You know, he was being coached by Greg Williams, who has sent many a very good defensive player down a very dark road. So I don't really see it as that much of a concern because I think you can— pretty safely assume that the difference between Jamie Collins under a Greg Williams defense versus Jamie Collins and like a Mike Zimmer defense and in this locker room and the culture and this really, really healthy culture that has been fostered in Minnesota, like I, I think he would be able to, you know, regain a little bit of that New England form, uh, but it wouldn't come without risk. However, because of all of those factors, he probably comes at, at a discount, and I bet he's probably underrated in the eyes of a lot of teams, which means he's going to be cheaper than he should be, and those are the kinds of deals that let you build an efficient roster, and then suddenly you have, like, way more cap space than you should, and you look at some of the teams that are built just, like, really, really well, and suddenly have way more cap space than they should. They get it by, you know, just nickel and diming, little deals here and there. On guys that are cheaper than they should be. Jamie Collins could fit that bill. The Browns are also shopping uh, Kevin Zeitler, their guard. He's one of the top paid guards in the league, but for the Vikings, that might be worth, you know, shelling out for a guy like that. They're just trying to clear cap. He has been an excellent guard for them in the past. And who knows, maybe they're interested in some of the guys that the Vikings have been shopping in like Trey Waynes or Everson Griffin, or maybe even Kyle Rudolph. Maybe there's a deal to be struck there. I would love to see the Vikings going, you know, aggressively pursue some of those more unorthodox options, especially if they're going to try to acquire players. Uh, You know, the Patriots are excellent at this. They They acquire players through trades so that they don't have to screw with their compensatory pick formula. Because if you don't know how the comp pick formula works, you know, if you lose free agents but then sign more free agents, those cancel out and you don't get a pick for losing the free agent. You only get a pick if you didn't sign somebody to replace them. But if you traded for somebody or if you drafted somebody or whatever, that doesn't count against the formula. And the Patriots are excellent at manipulating this. Uh, Pursuing trades like the Vikings are would have that added upside. Now, that's not just a reason to start, like, making trades all over the place, but it is an added benefit. So it's something to keep in mind. So we're going to talk a little bit more about philosophy here on the other side of the ad break, which I do have to step away to. Uh, But when I come back, we're going to get a little unorthodox uh, with one of these episodes. I really hope you guys like these. uh, And if not, I apologize. But I'm going to step away to an ad break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about evaluation philosophy. See you guys in a minute.
0: masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P E R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to locked podcast.com slash offers. That's locked podcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to lockdown podcast network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing.
1: Okay. Welcome back. So let's talk about the philosophy of player evaluation, and this is a methodology that I like to use. It's not one that I always use, uh, but it's it's something that I think can help if you're really unsure about a player. Um, but you know, to build a, f- a philosophy, to build an evaluation method, first, I think you kind of have to go through some thought experiments with players that you know. And so we're for the purposes of this, we're going to use Drew Brees because I think everybody knows and agrees that Drew Brees is very good. Uh, But before we get too deep into it, uh, when I said philosophy, I meant we're literally going into philosophy. I told you this was getting weird. You know, we've done some of these like taking something from another discipline and applying it to football before. But we've always done it with economics, which can have a huge impact on the way you see and think about football. And a lot of NFL coaches use economics. But I think philosophy can give you... Like, just the way that philosophy thinks and argues can give you an interesting perspective on, like, how to think and argue about football. So way back hundreds of years ago, there's a guy named Rene Descartes. You might know him for the uh, classic phrase, I think, therefore I am. He's that guy. And the way he got to that was basically he had this really troubling thought of, like, what if everything I know is a dream and and nothing is real, right? Or I'm in a simulation or it's the Truman Show or something weird like that. And I can't trust what's in front of my eyes. I can't trust that I am me. I can't trust that my, you know, that I am, this is my skin and that's my hair and this is my name and and I can't trust anything. So what I have to do is throw out everything I believe and pretend I believe nothing and only find the things I can be a hundred percent sure about, only believe those, and then basically build out a philosophy from there. But I I take a little bit of inspiration from this idea of let's throw out everything we know, even the obvious stuff. Like he threw out apples are red. That's a very obvious thing. But if you grew up only seeing that apples are red your whole life, you would think very clearly apples are red. There's no question about it in my mind. I've seen a bajillion apples. They've all been red. Why would I ever think apples are a different color? And then a Granny Smith apple would come, would roll in front of you and your whole world would be turned upside down. So essentially Descartes argues, you know, throw out your certainty that apples are red before a Granny Smith comes along and ruins it for you. Like throw all that out preemptively And then only bring in things that there's absolutely no way this can be proven wrong. And that's how we got to I think, therefore, I am. Essentially the idea that, okay, I'm having thoughts. That means I have to be something. I have to exist. I don't know if I'm a human or if I'm a dog having a dream about being a human, but I'm definitely something because I'm thinking. That's where I think, therefore, I am comes from. But we can use the same idea and the same kind of like nuke-it-all philosophy to evaluate players. Because I think we have a lot of preconceived notions, and I don't think it's too hot of a take to say, throw those out if you're going to evaluate a player. If you want to really be unbiased, try your best to throw out your preconceived notions. That can be really hard to do, right? Especially if you're a fan of the college team that he was on, or if you advocated really hard for somebody in the draft, or if, you know, you liked... A player on one team and now they play on another team and they're doing poorly on that team but you still maybe want to root for him or maybe you didn't like him on one team but now he's on your team there's a lot of weird preconceived notions and I think we're all susceptible to like these biases right I have all kinds of biases and it's important to try to find ways to throw them out in the way that you're thinking and not let them you know creep into your evaluations and then like skew what you actually find. And so I think the key to like making sure that those things don't creep too far in is to throw away the obvious things. Like with Drew Brees, Drew Brees is good. That is obvious. We all agree on this. But we'll, let's throw that belief out, too. And if we build a good enough methodology, that belief will come back in on its own because it's obviously true, and if our methodology works, we won't have to dispute that. And if our methodology is telling us Drew Brees is bad, that might be a red flag that's like, okay, well, maybe let's work on this methodology while we build it. And then once we've built it and it can, like, successfully turn out the results that we know are true, Drew Brees is good, Blake Bortles is bad, like once it's telling us those things that we know are obvious, then we can apply it to more ambiguous cases like Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles or Teddy Bridgewater and see what it returns and then we can have like useful information from there. Uh, But and you know what to start, let's actually do something a little bit more simple than Drew Brees because quarterbacks can be weird. Let's do a running back. And since it's a Vikings podcast, let's go with Adrian Peterson. We all know that Adrian Peterson, at least before age started to get a grip of him, he was good. Adrian Peterson in his prime was good. That is a, a sentence we can all agree to. But even though it's that obvious, let's completely throw it out. And we can also throw out the way we typically think about running backs in terms of running games and in terms of first downs or in terms of yards and touchdowns and fantasy points and all that. Throw all of that out. Throw everything you know about why a court, uh, or a running back is or isn't good and, and throw it out and we're going to start completely from scratch. Ignore everything you have already learned about running backs. Imagine you were a Martian that just now learned what a running back is and does on a football field. And think back to the the very fundamentals of what you want a running back to do. You want him to take the ball out of the quarterback's hands and advance it as far as he can. Okay, well, what skills does that require? Well, you probably have to be pretty tough because you're going to have to go through some tackles. uh, And you probably have to be pretty shifty because you're going to have to, you know, make people miss when they try to tackle you. So that's one thing that we understand and know running backs need to be good at is is making people miss tackles and there's a few other things that we know are important to us with running backs well running backs need to be in on in pass protection sometimes they should be good at that they should be good at catching the ball out of the backfield and they should be good at you know making people miss in space they should be you know tight-handed they shouldn't fumble these are all things that are very helpful and once you kind of have that list this is the way that a lot of draft evaluators do it they, they check boxes so those are all boxes. Does he miss tack, or does he force miss tackles? All right, box checked. Does he avoid fumbles? Okay, he does. Box checked. You know, does he have a lot of speed? We want running backs to be very fast, right? They run. The whole point of them is to run. And once they've made a guy miss, they should be able to like chew up yardage. and and gain as many yards as quickly as possible before the next guy gets there. So speed, that's another box. Let's check that box let's check the agility box. And essentially, as you're looking at a player, see how many of these boxes he checks. If he checks a lot of those boxes, he's probably good. So let's take Adrian Peterson through that ringer. Does he force people to miss tackles in his prime? Oh my God, all the time. He would leave people swinging. He would run people over. He destroyed William Gay that one time. He was amazing in his prime at doing that. Did he have speed? Yeah, he like dusted the fastest players out there. He dusted people's like fastest cornerbacks that had the angle on him and he just somehow ran right through him. It was amazing. Now, pass protection and pass catching, those are kind of issues, but in that day and time, they weren't quite as important. So we can kind of take that into account. He had his fumble issue, but that by no means, you know, outweighed his other abilities as a running back and as a pure running back in his day and age, the things that were important, he was very good at those things. So already we kind of found a little issue in our, our methodology, right? We had five boxes in terms of, you know, speed, agility, pass protection, pass catching, and fumbling, and Adrian Peterson only really checked two of them, which is probably telling that us that f- for that era, we probably are, are putting too much stock into the, like, ancillary things that running backs do, pass protection, pass catching, and stuff. So let's, you know, weigh those down a little bit. We'll, we'll call agility and speed the two most important things, and fumbling, we'll, we'll keep that up there, but we'll say pass protection and pass catching are secondary things. So, you know, in that time, that probably represents the way that running backs were looked at, now Adrian Peterson looks a lot better. So we can kind of edit our methodology to make sure that we aren't, you know, overthinking this because we're coming into it, you know, without any preconceived notions and that makes it really easy to miss. You know, if you're a Martian seeing your first running back for the first time, you might get some stuff wrong. So it's helpful to kind of like weigh things against that mirror of like, we know Adrian Peterson in 2011 and 2012 was good. And let's make sure that our methodology is bringing us to that very obvious conclusion. So I'm going to step away to another quick ad break because it's time for that. And we will continue this exercise on the other side. See you in a minute. Okay, we are back. So let's wrap up this whole thing with running back. So we've come up with, I guess, a methodology, things we care about. We care about speed. We care about agility. We care about fumbling. So let's see, like, how are we going to measure that with another running back? Say, you know, Joe Schmo, running back out of uh, whatever state university, and we're trying to evaluate that player. How do we measure those things? Well, there's a really easy way to measure speed, right? There's a 40-yard dash. We actually put them all in front of lasers, and we have them run, and we see who runs the fastest. All right, well, that's we can look at that, and that can tell us if somebody is fast or not. We can look at agility. We already had, you know, you you remember the combine preview where we talked about the drills and how they measure agility. The three-cone is really the biggest one there. So the three-cone drill will measure, you know, change of direction and suddenness and explosiveness. And you can also look at the jumps for, like, actual lower body explosiveness. Usually running backs who are better at the jumps are also better at, you know, jump cuts and, and like, changing directions in a way that's so explosive and, and they're the ones that can, like, really accelerate you can look at just the first 10 or 5 yards of the 40-yard dash to see how much somebody accelerates and how quickly they can get up to top speed. Fumbling's a little different. You kind of just have to look like, did they fumble a lot before? And you just kind of have to assume that if they fumbled a lot before, they'll probably continue to fumble a lot. That's not always true, but it's kind of there's not really like a 40-yard dash for fumbling you can take that methodology and apply it to your draft pick or apply it to your, you know, hopeful free agent signing and see who you want and and go from there. So let's build this out for quarterbacks. Let's let's take this a little more seriously, build this out for Drew Brees. We know Drew Brees is good. But let's throw all that out and let's and let's ask ourselves the same questions. I am now learning f- what a quarterback is for the first time. What do I think they should be good at? Well, I think my first intuition is that they should be accurate at throwing the ball. They should be able to throw it where they want to throw it and and I've already talked about how I kind of care about that for for quarterbacks but you know that is one of the more important things if you want to put it in a certain spot you should be able to put it in a certain spot that's accuracy and how do you measure that well PFF charts it and a couple other places chart it you could go with completion percentage are the balls caught all the time but you're kind of introducing like does there is the receiver good or was there good coverage and was there pressure and all that stuff let's just talk about accuracy which PFF charts And, you know, we'll take them on faith as much as we're comfortable taking them on faith in that. So what else do I care about in quarterbacks? Well, if I'm just learning what a quarterback does and I realize that he, like, calls the plays in the huddle and he's reading defenses and he's doing all that stuff, well, he should probably be pretty sharp. He needs to be, like, a really mentally sound person. So that's the second box I'm going to draw. And for simplicity's sake, I'm only going to do one more. Let's talk about, like, pocket presence slash mobility. Regardless of how good your offensive line is, there is going to be a certain number of plays where your quarterback is under duress. How do they deal with that? Let's let's say, you know, good under duress, and, and there's a lot of different ways to deal with that, right? You can do the, the Tom Brady where you just sidestep a little bit, or Tony Romo is great at this, or you can scramble around like Russell Wilson, and Tony Romo is also very good at that. Extend the play Aaron Rodgers style, or, you know, run Lamar Jackson style. Whatever your cup of tea is, I think you should check the box of, like, has a plan under pressure. And, and I, I, if I were really doing this in a, a longer format, I would come up with a whole bunch more boxes and then we'd see how many, you know, everybody checks. But we'll stick with those three for now. Now let's apply this against Drew Brees. How accurate is he? Looking at PFF's accuracy charting data at pretty much every level of the field and every location on the receiver's body, Drew Brees was at least above average and at best elite. Uh, he was unbelievable at throwing the ball and unbelievably accurate. So Drew Brees checks our first box. Okay, excellent. Looking at the mental acuity one, there's not really a great way to measure it. Um, But, you know, thinking about Drew Brees, you know, and, and his veteran experience and everything and his ability to like change calls and protections and audible call audibles and stuff. I believe he has carte blanche to call all the audibles he wants. I think we can safely say Drew Brees checks that box. And then the mobility box. He actually, I think if I remember, he scrambled around a little when he was younger. Uh, But he has always been a god at getting the ball out quickly when he's under pressure. And that's a great way to handle pressure is is throw the ball so that they can't tackle you because you've thrown the ball. He's always been, you know, one of the best quarterbacks at that. Okay, so he checks all three boxes. So our methodology has found that Drew Brees is very good. Now, I know that seems like we went through a whole bunch of weird steps to get to a conclusion we already knew, but that's an important exercise to go through to, like, test your methodology, right? And if we were really trying to come up with a very sound methodology, and, and, you know, data scientists and people trying to come up with, like, better passer rating formulas and stuff are doing this, they look at all the quarterbacks. Okay, does this work with Tom Brady? Does it work with Pat Mahomes? Does it give us the right, op, you know, the right conclusions about Blake Bortles or Deshaun Kaiser or you know the quarterbacks we like really know to be bad. For the sake of time, we'll just do the Breeze one, but it gives you a sense of kind of those those building blocks of evaluation. So that's the process that I kind of wanted to pitch to you as the listener as we go through free agency and as you learn about players that the Vikings are interested in that you maybe hadn't thought about before, throw out your preconceived evaluation of every player. And just think about what do I want in that position? Think about the boxes you want them to check. And the most important part, just like with, you know, Rene Descartes, throw out what you already know, even the stuff that you think should be really obvious. Because if your methodology is good, it'll bring you back those obvious conclusions. You won't lose anything by throwing them out. Uh, But let's do an example of something that's a little bit more practical because odds are the Vikings are going to be looking for replacements at outside linebacker. So let's think about what the Vikings, what boxes we want this guy to check at outside linebacker. Well, we need him to be rangy, right? That's something that they do all the time. The, The Vikings defense asks Anthony Barr to cover huge swaths of grass so line up on the line of scrimmage and then end up dropping into a zone across the formation and 10 yards back and to get there you know in two or three seconds in like a really quick amount of time and you need somebody that can execute that that can get there fast enough if you don't you turn into the Bengals the Bengals have very unathletic linebackers but attempt the same scheme and it goes really poorly so part of that speed part of that's like agility and acceleration we'll call it range and call it one box all right does he check off the range box Another one is tackling. Is this person a sound tackler or do they miss tackles all the time? We had a kind of up and down little thing with, with Anthony Barr in that regard. He was pretty good at it this year. But that's a really important thing for your linebacker to be able to do because if they're constantly missing tackles or if their form is sloppy or if they're too aggressive about it, you know, that could lead to either penalties. It could lead to missed tackles and huge broken plays and stuff. It's a really important thing. So let's make that another box. Is tackling, you know, are they a sound tackler? And then let's just talk really vaguely about just like pass rushing ability because we've talked about range and we can kind of use that as a proxy for coverage and we've talked about tackling and and I think that like shooting run gaps is partially like that acceleration and agility that we're already measuring with the range thing and part of that's tackling which we're already measuring. But we haven't really talked about pass rushing because we're probably going to have to ask this guy to blitz a whole lot and that person should be good at blitzing. They should be able to you know shed a block from a running back or from a tight end you don't really expect your linebacker to beat offensive linemen all that often but you would hope it happens sometimes so let's make that the third box and and you probably teams probably have way more than three boxes but we're trying to keep it simple here Uh, but that's a really nice way to look at whoever the Vikings end up getting to play outside linebacker. Do they have those things? You know, just looking at like Eric Wilson, for example, who is currently going to be the guy in that job until he gets somebody else probably has the range, uh, He was the only linebacker on the team uh, with enough snaps that had a negative tackling grade, so I don't think he checks that box. And in terms of pass rushing, well, his size has always been a huge problem. I don't think he checks that box either. It's not like he's a really refined pass rusher or anything. He did get some sacks, but they were kind of free scheme sacks, if you remember, like, go back and watch him. So if Eric Wilson only checks one of the three boxes we just laid out we should probably go upgrade on him again this is probably not news to you but it further you know proves the methodology that we can go apply to say jamie collins jamie collins at least back when he took all the combine tests had excellent explosiveness scores and great 10 yard split and he beat the jumps and he had pretty good agility so i'd say he probably checks that like quote-unquote ranginess box As a tackler, at least in 2018, he missed 20 tackles, which is really bad. He had a really poor tackling grade from PFF, so he probably doesn't check the tackling box. So, okay, that's something to keep in mind. And in terms of pass rushing productivity, he was kind of middle of the road. I think he probably is okay. He's above the threshold enough to check the box, so he checks two out of three. That would make him an okay option and hopefully the price would be right for an okay option if the vikings did end up going there so that's just one way to evaluate one free agency there's a lot of different ways to evaluate football players this is by no means the only way and it's by no means perfect but it is a way of thinking about football that can help you kind of get over the bias you might have against a player that maybe you didn't like coming out of the draft but he you know had a good career and now he's a free agent or a player that you did like coming out of the draft and now he's a free agent and the Vikings aren't going for him and you want him to, well, maybe throw away your preconceived biases, ask yourselves what box you want players to check, and then ask yourselves, independently of that, if that player in a vacuum checks the boxes. Just one way of thinking about football, and I thought an interesting way to kind of preview free agency and try to, you know, avoid some of the common pitfalls you may fall into this time of year. Is an interesting way to think about it. But that's going to do it for me this week, Unlocked on Vikings. Thank you all so much uh, for listening to kind of a weird and disjointed. A group of episodes I will be back on Monday Which is the first day of legal tampering with a show Unfortunately I, I can't Record it on that Monday night I have to record it on, on Sunday uh, But then we will be basically be able to recap The first day of tampering, the second day of tampering And the first day of actual free agency Which is where the lion's share of the action Will have happened And then we'll come back the week after that And talk about whatever scraps we missed uh, It's going to be an awesome week And I can't wait to share it all with you But for now that is going to do it for me. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, you can find the show at Locked On Vikings on Twitter. You can find me at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. You can find the show by asking your smart device to play a podcast, Locked On Vikings. It'll take you right to the last episode without you lifting a finger. Thank you all so much for dealing with another weird, like, educational episode. I uh, hope you guys like them. And until next time,
0: skull. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked on Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked on Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked on Wild to your device every day.